0: And to our
1: friends book club. hello everybody and welcome to the hellboy book club my name is John Salinas and I'm here with loveless
2: and I'm Daniel
1: hey gang don't forget to check out our pals at Mignolaverse.com they went on a break for a little bit but they're gonna have some BPRD news coming up soon and I also want to shout out the things with words podcast I was checking out their podcast we got a shout out from them huh. Uh, awesome. For inspiring them to do an episode based on the Mignola verse. And okay. so I checked out their podcast. They cover a lot of different, like, pop culture things like tv shows and movies uh-huh. and comic book series that's fun and so they did an episode on the mignola verse and they mentioned our podcast and so yeah shout out to yanni zabao and lyron sinne for that great episode it was a really good show
3: check I'll their podcast to, out
2: yeah i'll have to listen to that
1: i'm making a note of it right yeah. now yeah i also want to thank at dj alpha t on twitter for giving us a shout out They said, been reading the graphic novels since the early 2000s, big fan of The Big Red Guy and the spinoffs. I'm a little behind, got to catch up to the end of Hell on Earth. I've downloaded all the podcast episodes, really enjoying your analysis. Yeah, so we can all catch up together on the Hell on Earth series. That's where we're going to be picking up the week after next, I think.
3: Oh, good, because I've kind
1: of really been wanting to get back (laughs) to that story. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, we're going to move on to some listener feedback.
0: (laughs) And to our
1: hey, we had a Hey You Damn Guys from the Barbara Yaga. Ah. What's up? Barbara Yaga here. First of all, as always, excellent work on the podcast. Of all the shows I listen to, yours is always the one I look forward to the most and Aww. spend most Tuesday mornings refreshing my feed until the episode goes live. Aww. Aww. Thanks. I wanted to thank you all. For the other day, I had a bit of a rough Monday night, but starting the latest episode and hearing how excited y'all sounded to hear from me in the last week's listener feedback really turned my day around. Aww. I've been listening every week since day one, and while I don't interact with y'all as much as I'd like to, it's an honor to be considered a friend of the book club, as much as it sounds like you think of me as.
2: Barbara Yaga, book club member. Book club member.
1: And truthfully, one of the reasons I don't send much feedback is because all of your thoughts and interpretations match up so well with (laughs) mine that I'd more or less just be echoing back what y'all are already saying. Two things I will add, all due respect to Mark Tweedale, there really is no one in the community I look to as much as him. But I also like reading The Midnight Circus before 1948 mm-hmm. for all the reasons mm-hmm. you all thought the stories worked in that order. Okay. I tend to consider the length of Hellboy's horns and hair as consequences of the two artists and their stylistic choices. And secondly, whenever I read 1948, I can practically hear theremin music coming off of the pages. <laughs> yeah. That's sure. that's very good. Yeah, With wanted- love from the chicken leg house, the Barbara Yaga. I've always wanted to mess around with the theremin
3: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> tough actually our friend katie and ex optimus used to play the theremin until she switched to bass because she yeah. was just like you know what i'm gonna switch yeah <laughs> oh i don't i over. don't want to play it i just want to Fuck about it, it. <laughs> it's really weird it's it's hard to get anything out right. of it resembling a note oh like, wow. it's really interesting
1: but it does go with like that nuclear
3: it does no yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah. 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 it's very i'm just
3: fascinated by like there's like a thing where you just wave your hand in front of it oh and, it's like, neat produces music i I gotta
2: show you um there's she is kind of a virtuoso what was her name she was like the best theremin player she was like a yeah clara rockmore is her name she's a theremin virtuoso woman and she was around god when was she around anyway there's some really badass pictures of her online you can read about her nice uh career and all this stuff thank you we got off on this thing about theremins.
3: Sorry, my Thank bad. Thank you. No,
2: don't be. No, it's fun to talk about. And thanks, Barbara Yaga, for being a book club member. And we're glad that we could bring something positive to your life and and friendship. Thanks a lot. Back to you, John.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's actually a nice PS to this. Uh, hey, you damn guys. I recently entered into my very first long-term relationship with someone who'd never read any Hellboy but always wanted to. Having oh, won man. extra copies of the first volumes of The Omnibus in a recent 25-anniversary raffle on Twitter... I gave them to him to get his feet wet and see if he liked it. By the next time I saw him, he'd bought himself all the omnibuses and both Hellboy and Plague of Frogs. Needless to say, the next step is getting him on board the book club train. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
0: That's
3: I great. Hearing, I love hearing stories
2: like yeah, that. That's yeah,
3: that's great. It's, it's sweet. It makes, makes me feel happy.
1: Yeah.
2: That's what we're all about here at the book club.
1: We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strackbine. Matt Strachbein. Matt Strachbein. When Mignola and Company launched this Abe Sapien series, The Drowning, I was so excited that I began to hope for a full series. That wish would eventually come true, and I was more than satisfied with the outcome. But the first story stands as one of the weirdest, thanks in part to Jason Sean Alexander's incredible artwork. His art was so appropriate, not just for Abe, but for this particularly Lovecraftian storyline. I think something more mainstream, something with cleaner lines, might have taken away from the comic. Just look at the Ed Gray scene at the beginning. As much as I love all the artists that have contributed to the Witchfinder title, this one sequence is my absolute favorite gray moment. It's gritty and dark in a somehow real-world manner. Anyway, great episode. This is one of the few times I've read along with you guys. Normally I like to listen without the books in front of me for a fresher perspective, but I just had to read this one again. Your reactions were perfect. Lastly, Danielle's comparison to the X-Files in regards to the Ogopogo story was spot on. But to me, the vibe felt a lot like a Cabot Cove mystery, too. Sure, yeah. I can't find the letter I I wrote to Hellmail about this and the reply from Scott Alley, but I'm pretty sure he confirmed my suspicions that it was at least partly inspired by Murder, She Wrote.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, man. That's great.
1: The show had just dropped on Netflix, and I had binged the first four seasons straight when this story was published, so it was fresh (laughs) in my mind. And back in Main Street pop culture, ripe right, for an all new cult following.
0: That's oh, great. that's so yeah. awesome!
1: And Cabot Cove is the is the town that Murder She Wrote takes
0: place yeah, in, yeah.
3: right?
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. My um my sister used to watch that show when we were kids all the time. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I would catch like some parts here and there, but uh, yeah, yeah, no.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I want to say my mom watched it. No, maybe my grandma. I don't know. I don't
3: remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It just seemed like that was one of those shows that was just on. Sure. It would just yeah. be on
2: in the background oh, yeah. randomly. yeah, like Wheel of Fortune. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, if it didn't have Transformers
3: or G.I. Joes or Thundercats, I wasn't interested right. oh, in the 80s.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> when I posted the teaser for The Drowning, Nathaniel Green said, These are my favorite covers ever. Maybe my favorite five-issue set. And Mark Tweedell chimed in. He said, sorry for the slightly awkward reading order for the next few weeks. Yeah, so we're <laughs> jumping back and forth between some different some different trades on this one.
2: It's still pretty clear, though, the timeline that you're going for, though. So I don't... We're with you.
1: Yeah, and yeah. Mark mentions, you know, he was trying to juggle around things in a way that works for the podcast. So, you know, I told Mark, we try not to do more than six issues total. Sure, yeah. So he's also trying to keep that in mind. I don't know. I kind of feel like these uh,
3: these stories have been kind of like... Filling in some like little holes yeah. on certain yeah. things, just kind of you know giving us a little bit of that um, I don't know that, that that extra like that cherry on top to the flushing it stories. out, a little right? Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've been enjoying it, especially like some like you know some of the stories we read today.
1: Yeah. yeah, and Nathaniel Green replied. He was like, "You have nothing to apologize for. You are a high scribe in the verse and we are lucky to have you." It's true. Yeah, and he is very true. Oh, yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Mark. And some feedback on the drowning. Jerry Turnbull said, "Anastasia Bransfield, one Jerry of the- Turnbull, yeah, Club oh, member, O.G., <laughs> the Hellboy historian himself. He said Anastasia Bronsfield, one of the great loves of Hellboy's life. She appeared in the Christopher Golden books, The Lost Army and The Dragon Pool, both of which are canon. All right, yeah. So that woman that he ran off with, as Broom put it, she's <laughs> apparently in those books. So we'll have to check those oh, out. Interesting. And he also mentioned that." van fleet pratt and hampton are all references to other comic book artists john van fleet george pratt and scott hampton oh wow and scott hampton did huh. the sleeping in the dead How about that? which is one of the hellboy stories we covered previously that's, that's cool, cool. That's cool yeah like, they're, they're all the agents people. that die <laughs> <laughs> that's fun And I also talked to Jerry about the Lipu dagger. We concluded that it probably hasn't come up yet. Okay. Other than this story. This is the first time that we're seeing it. There's a lot of mystical daggers. we might see it again. In this line of work.
2: So it's not surprising that there are several...
1: When I posted about Edward Gray's John Wick moment, (laughs) Friends of Strackbind said, one of the best Edward Gray scenes. Yeah, I gotta say this was a major highlight for the Hellboy universe. I've read it twice since the last podcast. Oh, wow. Cool. Mark Tweedell said, the EG tagging is very appropriate for the attitudes of the time. The English were well known for going to various corners of the globes and signing their initials on ancient monuments. Mm. If you visit <laughs> Egypt, everything's covered in centuries-old initials from Europeans. Awful.
0: Awful. Yeah, I thought that was interesting.
1: <laughs> now, I, I was actually, because I, I was thinking about it again while I was editing it, and I was thinking that maybe he put that so he would remember where that ship was. Right. You know, I was uh, thinking maybe uh, maybe he put it there so that way he'd be like, ah. It's oh, just a colonizer attitude. Yeah.
3: But yeah, I mean, I actually, when I was listening to the podcast back, I thought that same thing. Well, maybe he was just marking it so he could find it again. But, yeah. you know.
2: In historical context, it seems grosser. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, it's probably both. Sure. <laughs> Drew Campbell said, I'd love to see someone cosplay as Abe Sapien wearing that ugly sweater. No. <laughs> that would be so good. That would be pretty good. Yeah. you, Doug Jones. Because <laughs> then you could, you could slap a little, hello, my name is Abe on it. Right, there. Yeah. In reference to when the lady mentions that the sea had sent his children to Leto and Babylon, I couldn't find any specific reference about Leto, but the children of the sea that was sent to Babylon is surely a reference to Oanas. Uh. Yeah, so we talked about them before. It's interesting that Abe's first two solo stories deal in one way or another with slave trade. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I didn't think about that at the time.
3: I wonder if it has anything to do with, like... Hadn't being found on the day that lincoln was shot or oh right the, yeah the date uh, was lincoln is shot and so it kind of ties it back into slavery and all right that.
1: right yeah that's a good point
2: well um,
1: not that you should use
2: slavery
3: as a story no no no. no. i'm just
2: saying like yeah i don't know all of that was during that time that his character was alive that was all going on yeah
1: yeah i don't know yeah weird <laughs> uh jen Niklas said Jenny Claus. Yeah. And Drew Campbell. And Drew Campbell. Drew
2: Campbell, everybody.
1: (laughs) One of my favorite things is having you read off his names. (laughs) He said, just read Ogo Pogo for this episode. Oh. Oh, cool. And I agree with Abe. Wait, that was it? On the other hand, the whole issue was kind of bizarre. More like an episode of CSI than regular Hellboy. Yeah. Nobody had to die. Well, besides the guy at the beginning. But you need someone to die to start the detective story, so it doesn't count. It's also odd how real people talked in this issue, not in the way they talk with you, but at you and more to themselves. Yeah, I don't know. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, they don't want to inform you. Just talk. As for the drowning, why is Abe just the better guy for horror stories? (laughs) He also says that this is kind of a retelling of Shadow Over Innsmouth by H.P. Lovecraft. He says, but without the racism and therefore (laughs) totally better than the original. Yeah. We have fish people that prayed to the mysterious sea god and he's kind of okay. I mean they toss their crosses into the sea but otherwise no indication of human sacrifice and all the gory stuff. And since he's got a church maybe they give him the saint treatment. Mm. So I did check out this shadow over Innsmouth and it had a lot to do with this kind of idea of a fish god saving a town and then yeah. th- and then them becoming more involved with the fish god and they actually start to transform into people yeah fish people and then the narrator realizes that he's transforming into one like yeah, in the story cool. yeah it's kind of interesting it sounds fishy yeah <laughs> sorry i had to <laughs> uh it's always refreshing to see a monster story where the monsters aren't the real antagonists fitting to the discussion you had beforehand but if all that is too complex for you, you can always count on an evil warlock from Hyperborea to appear. Because those <laughs> guys are jerks. Yes, sir. Thanks for rescuing the people that prayed to fish Jesus, Abe. You did good. Have another t-shirt. Hear you next week. Jeez. Yeah, so thanks for that as always, Class. <laughs> that was awesome. Jason Abaddon said, Aubrey mentions how Van Fleet is the character that gets introduced to Just Die. These dead meat tropes are a staple in action movies and comics. Usually, they say something like, This will be boring or easy. Or, After I'm retiring, look at this picture of my kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And is immediately killed. I love those doomed saps. And he also. The red shirts. Yeah. The, the Bill Paxtons. Yeah. Aw. Uh, that's right. And he also said, uh, He also talked about Anastasia Bronzefield. Danielle was talking about how she hates Dr. Manning. For the record. <laughs> That dumbass destroyed the world. It was his call to <laughs> allow the fungus specimen from the Cavendish House remains to grow into the giant mushroom monster, starting the entire frog war. Hate that guy. Yeah, what? I, I forgot <laughs> about that. Man, fuck that guy. <laughs>
3: yeah, fuck that guy.
1: And he also asked if, when Abe was fighting that giant eel monster, if that was an ogre hem. But I think, oh. but I think in the little sketchbook thing, Mignola said that they got their powers from the tattoos. Like tattoo right. man,
2: right? So yeah. I think that's a, that's different. Okay,
3: sure. I just yeah, assumed but... it was like the tattoo. I don't know because like I feel like that's kind of a like a thing, like a trope, in I've like seen it in other things. Where sure, yeah.
2: Like
1: right. the tattoo yeah.
2: comes to life. Sure, maybe it's connected somehow.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't I didn't really think about that connection, but it kind of resembled you know one of those ogdraham monsters.
2: Right? Maybe it's just a stylistic choice to kind of be like, oh, this is a mystical magic thing.
3: Well, I mean, he was like a when he created by the hyperborean prince uh priest or whatever right so maybe that's just the style just a similar monster style he's all like oh this is what did he fashioned sure
2: there you go
1: (laughs) when i posted the trippy splash pages from jason sean alexander IAV Studios said just put these masterpieces in the museum of modern art already yeah some feedback on the ogopogo Jason Abaddon said, Nolan is the coolest. Jason Abaddon. Yeah, book club member. Book club member. He yeah. said that he met Kevin Nolan and Tyler Crook at the same show. Oh, wow. I was sorely tempted to get nice. Hellboy stuff from both, but I went with Doc Strange instead.
0: Doctor Strange and, and is so he good, he has though. Uh,
1: Kevin Nolan, yeah. and Doctor Strange. That's and good. And Nolan is famous for doing some really cool Doctor Strange covers yes, for Marvel.
2: definitely. Good show. I can't blame you. It's, yeah. You
1: know. I got a, when I met Walt Simonson, that was my pick. I had to get a Doctor Strange oh, yeah, from him. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, if I ever met
3: Walt Simonson, I would want to get Thor or Beta Ray Bill.
1: Yeah, maybe I we should. Have, well,
3: no, just,
2: Doctor Strange.
1: I felt like he draws a lot of Thors, probably. No, no,
3: I mean, but that's just that's your, um, that's what you wanted from him. Yeah. And this would be what I would yeah, want yeah, from yeah, him. Exactly. <laughs> you. Yeah, know? exactly. And uh, I'm
2: saying you're not allowed to retroactively go back in time and change your decision. <laughs> we got a good one. We got a good one. It is
1: good. Yeah, never, never regret that. <laughs> CLA comic bookmaker on Twitter said. Cowboy Book Club, I'm always impressed by how Kevin Nolan pencils, inks, colors, letters, and creates cover art for his Mignolaverse contributions. Oh, that's a lot of work. He's an all-star. And so this is something a little interesting. We talked about that right hand of doom boom, if that counted or not. Oh,
0: do I, we have some I, feedback on that? I still
1: say that? no. <laughs> okay, so, but you're going to say yes after I tell gonna you this. I'm going to say yes already, though. Oh, okay. I was already in the yes okay, camp, Okay, so check this out. This actually happened. So I went back to the episode where we discussed the ghoul to listen to see if I counted it. And in the episode, we count it. We count it as number 12 or okay. something like that. Okay. But then on the post, I didn't count it. Wow. I counted, I skipped it and went to the one from In the Chapel of Moloch, which was the story we read after that one. Okay. So I skipped it originally. So it only makes sense that I can add it back in now, which okay. actually catches us up to a more accurate count, which is 34. Wow, oh, so if we hadn't had that little, yeah, Exactly, so if we, if we had hadn't <laughs> had that little
2: debate about it, we wouldn't have even checked to see. Yeah. And you wouldn't have an accurate count.
1: Yeah. So now I've gone back and corrected that. So okay, now that being this said, is officially 34.
2: Would you have counted it, though, if we had it had already been counted? No. No. Okay. But since it but wasn't. But since it count- wasn't. Yeah. yeah, All right. Yeah. All right.
1: Uh, you Good job, me. T- you win by a technicality.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll
1: accept that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, uh, Aubrey, Aubrey had, had thing. a thing that he forgot to talk about. So uh,
3: I have a. Aubrey's things he forgot to mention, stealing his <laughs> line from John. In last week's episode, um
2: Aubrey's list of things he forgot to mention.
3: When a uh, when a
2: uh, corner <laughs>
3: <laughs> Uh when Vroom asked him about uh, seeing the um oh you know, the sea creature that's part of that connected to him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so um
1: I can't remember what it's called right now. Uh I've just been calling it the numya bisque or whatever.
2: That's oh, what right, they keep okay.
3: mentioning, yeah. Okay, so when he saw the the numb you know, whatever you just said, <laughs> I'll figure that out later. Numb Nabisco. Anyway, my point. He uh he couldn't remember it. And he was like it was like fading like a dream like we were right, saying. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. It made me think of back when the like in the first uh, like Hellboy Seated destruction story and there he was like saying what did Rasputin say to you and Hellboy remembered it distinctly but he chose not to say anything.
2: Okay. Oh yeah, sure. and it kind
3: of just make I just felt like that's the, another read were, on it. Those were kind of like parallels of the different kind of characters that that's they are. That's sure. That's another take. Where Hellboy is, he he keeps it in close to the chest, but Abe is more like curious. And But it's, you know, he was also kind of forgetting. So he was remembering who knows right. if he'd say anything yeah. or not. Okay. That uh, was just something I thought well, of and I forgot little... to mention it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, that makes me think of something too. Because in Seed of Destruction, when he sees the frog monsters, he says... That he feels like he shares a weird kinship with them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of maybe that kind connection. of feeds onto that too. Really cool. Awesome. And now we're gonna go into our. And
2: now we're gonna we're gonna read a story <laughs> book club.
1: This week we're gonna talk about some BPRD and Abe Sapien short stories. I'm probably just going to call this episode BPRD Short Stories. And the first one we're going to talk about is BPRD The Dead Remembered. The story was published from April to June 2011, and it was collected in the trade paperback BPRD Being Human in November 2011. It is the first miniseries to be written by longtime Hellboy and BPRD editor Scott Alley, and Mignola is also credited as writer. And so we had talked about that last time you were asking if... Scott Alley had written anything before, so I guess technically this is the first one that he wrote, but he also, I think he also assisted on the Ogopogo, right?
3: Yeah, well, it was one story like last week we read, and I was wondering if it was the first time we've yeah. seen him credit it, uh, us as a book club, seen him credit it as part of the story right? Yeah, so it Just probably
1: writer. was, I yeah. think, yeah. Pencils by Carl Moline. So we last saw Carl Moline in his Liz's War of Frog issue, also known as the Epilogue to the Black Flame. Inks by Andy Owens, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Did you guys check out these covers by Joe Chen? They're in the back of the trade paperback.
3: Man, it's beautiful. It's like a yeah. nice painting.
1: <laughs> They're really cool. We open in 1693, and there's some Salem Witch Trial stuff going on.
2: There sure is.
1: Yeah, and so we get flashbacks to this and, you know, they're coming for this lady. They're calling her a witch. We see these wind chimes. We're going to see these a couple of times. They have like shells on them. They're
2: made out of shells.
1: And then we cut over to the BPRD headquarters in 1976. We see Hellboy and Broom's office and Broom's going on his own field mission, right? Hellboy's glad to see it, but he thinks it's overkill to bring him. And we see this picture of Hellboy and Broom. Right, this little picture with a uh, little hellboy.
3: I like I like that little picture. It's it's a I don't know, his in his overalls, in his in his, his shirt and his, has got the goggles. Yeah, it was making I me know. think of the
1: lobster goggles. I wonder if he was playing Lobster Johnson oh, or something. Oh, I bet he was. were his little goggles. Hellboy he suggests to Broom that he bring Liz. It's 2 years that she's been with the bureau and Broom mentions that Hellboy is the only one that she speaks to. Hellboy tells Broom that Liz isn't a science project. Which is interesting because that's going to be the same thing that Broom says about Abe Yeah. later. Yeah. He told those agents in the drowning, hey, he's not a pet, he's a person. But here, kind of, Hellboy's having to tell him that. So I kind of like that. Like maybe he originally learned that from right. Hellboy and then he which gives is, him that perspective. You know what I mean?
3: Which is funny because he was the one telling that about Hellboy, but that was like 30 years per, for, prior. Yeah. Right,
1: right. Yeah. Probably a lot
3: of bureaucracy has happened since then.
1: And Hellboy says, it will be like going on vacation with her elderly uncle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Broom says he sees Hellboy's point. So he's convincing him there. And then we see 14-year-old Liz's room.
2: Got a little radio. And it looks like she has a poster. It looks like... When, when he was drawing this, it looks like he drew Robert Plant playing a guitar.
1: No, that's actually the Frampton Comes Alive. That's the
2: Frampton Comes Alive? Yeah. Oh. That's
1: cool. what I was looking... I was trying to... There's a couple of pop culture references in this that I tried to pull out. I was trying to see what was this, al- this purple album.
2: Oh, right. Do
1: you know what that is right no, there? No, I, I can't. I was trying to make that out if it's supposed to be something. We see a Snoopy doll. Liz is packing her bag to go on the trip. And she has this small wooden box, and then she's got this cross on a necklace. So is she putting it in there or is she taking it out? I was trying to figure that out. I
3: felt like she was taking it out, but then she put it back in. Right. That's kind of what it is. She was thinking about wearing it, but then decided against it.
1: And this lady, Jenny, comes in to remind Liz to take her pills. What do you think about Jenny here, right? I don't know. She tries to be nice to Liz.
3: Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, she's trying to be nice, but then she's also not being nice.
2: Well, here's the thing is, she's very friendly and cheerful. She's got a big smile on. She's trying to be upbeat about it. She says, you know how he can be? I'll put them with your stuff so you can be in charge of it. She's trying to give her a little bit of agency, but Liz has kind of, uh, she's got kind of trust issues, right? Sure. Because of, and who can blame her? She had kind of a rough time coming into the BPRD. She's had a rough COVID in general, and- she accuses her of saying she says oh you're just glad to have a break from me from babysitting so she kind (laughs) of has this thing where i'm sure a lot of us have struggled with in the past where you feel bad about yourself so you automatically assign this to other people and say oh you don't like me right you just think i'm whatever and so that ends up kind of creating that real people will fuck you too then so she's a little kid she's trying to navigate her relationships with people she doesn't really have anyone so she's a little bit She's a little bit sour on the whole thing. Maybe she's feeling a little anxious about it. You know? But it seems so, like
1: she's actually true about that.
2: Well, but is Because then that what I'm lady's saying. like, that's, you're all yours. That's what I'm saying <laughs> though, is maybe if you know, if Liz was uh, could was able okay. to be more trusty, I'm not saying she should just automatically right, obviously right. she's having a hard time. She needs she needs some fucking therapy, but she's saying like, oh, just, you just want to have a break from me. Who can say if if Liz was taking this friendliness as at face value if the woman would genuinely grow closer to Liz or who's to say. But I don't know. I think that later in the story there's someone else kind of gives her this information and says – Look, maybe if you weren't so mean to everybody, <laughs> they you, they wouldn't act like that, and you wouldn't think that they don't because you're just assuming they don't like you. It becomes a self fulfilling. Sure, yeah, reality. I totally get what you're so saying. So I've actually, yeah. you know, I struggled with that in the past, where I'm just like, oh, these people aren't going to like me. I get so nervous and anxious about it that maybe I seem standoffish, right? Hmm. Maybe I seem like okay. I have an attitude, but it's really just me thinking they don't like me, right? Yeah, and then they don't because yeah. I haven't. So you know. I kind wow. of struggled with that when I was her age. When I was a little kid, I had a hard time making friends just because I was like always, you know, oh, what is people going to want to be my right. friend or not? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, I don't know. I, I sort of identify with that. You have a huge attitude <laughs> and then you realize, oh, wait, maybe if I didn't have a fucking attitude all the time, <laughs> right?
3: Um, I guess I I was taking, I mean, you make a great point. I mean, that's actually something that's true that I've done this similar things where I, I've i acted in the same manner. Yeah. But, but I was actually thinking about... um. She was first in there, and they were trying to bring her the food, and See, she yeah, exactly. And they freaked out on yeah. her, and so that's kind of what I was seeing this scene. Right. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. yeah. She that has yeah. every has a reason. Different frame on yeah. it. Yeah, she
2: has every reason not to trust people because they were awful to her. I yeah. mean, and she has gone through some shit. She burned her whole family alive. Yeah, and so, so that's she's. I totally understand that too. Like, I'm not saying she, she. Oh, what's her problem? She has every reason to have, you right. know, kind of a that sort of bitter yeah. or maybe she's not bitter but she's for feeling the way she feels
3: right like, if jenny would i don't know i feel like she's afraid of liz and she's like yeah maybe she's not, a little and afraid of liz and liz is smart and, and she can pick up on it and she's like standing apart and if she would take the time a little bit to um genuinely talk to her yeah as opposed to talk to her
2: when a lot of people have that defense mechanism yeah. too of like well You, we're not going to be close anyway. You're just going to be afraid of me, so I might as well not get attached to you. Exactly. And if you can't handle me when I'm having an attitude, then you don't deserve (laughs) me to. What you know? It's that kind of thing. Well, Hellboy does. He, he sort of ignores her. Right. She does it with him too, with the sarcastic "uh." And he, you know, and she's a teenage. She's a little. Oh, yeah, teenager right, right. right. we keep forgetting she's 14 years old here right? Sure. right so she's being a 14 year old she's feeling awkward she's growing up and she has all this extra bullshit on top of it so hellboy just kind of is very patient and understanding and right she yeah. does her little 14 year old sarcastic bit and he sort of just brushes it off like just give it a chance it'll yeah. be fine you're know, you gonna be all right kid like he i i like this their relationship because of that because there's always gonna also be someone in your life eventually who's gonna see through all that bullshit just cut straight through it and say, all right, I get it. Let's, you know, knock it off. And they, they kind of develop a relationship and that allows you to develop more relationships. And I think that that's we're seeing that here. And that's why I think this is so well written. She's written like she's 14 and she's having a hard time. Yeah. And he's written like he gets it and he's been there. And they have such a good relationship. It's really nice.
3: And, yeah, no, I, I want to just echo in on that. Um, I, I really enjoy this relationship we get with Hellboy and Liz with them. Just it's... It's like a true friendship. Yeah, kind of yeah. being a teenage
2: it's, girl is rough enough yeah. without being a pyro maniac mm. who killed your family. Right. right, but
3: it's also something like it's it's like the beginning, the building blocks, because we know that they have a a good relationship later in yeah. in their lives, and it's it's wonderful to see like a positive relationship between a male and female. Yeah, characters. and it's yeah. it's yeah. very
2: it's very true to them without and a, true to yeah. their characters, and it really it helps us. It's not out of place. It's not. It's it helps yeah. us really. Feel more connected to these characters. Too. Well, and
3: then I was also going to add it's also without, uh, it's, it's nice to see their kind of relationship without having any romantic. Oh, right. oh uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. spin added to it because,
1: you know.
2: Right, it's, right, right. It's right.
1: refreshing. <laughs> and Hellboy comes in, he's like, hey, kiddo. And she goes, I already got my pills. Yeah. Right? That's the first thing, right? And he tries to give her this uh, St. Christopher medallion. He's going to tell her about it. And she's like, he's like patron saint of, and she goes, of travelers, duh. I used to be Catholic. <laughs> so that kind of gives you something too is you know she's not um
2: i think it's the teenager thing i really do
1: she gets it that this is all hellboy's idea that he gave this idea to broom and she's like i bet he didn't take you to priest and hellboy's like believe it or not he sent me to a lot of (laughs) priests and she's like so i'm gonna go to this hick town They kill witches, so some close minded, judgmental, and he's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I kind of read that more. So I'm going to go to
2: this hick town where they used to kill witches, so some close minded, and he's just, All right, okay, come on.
1: And so he says that the father they're going to meet is nice. He's met him before. And if he didn't have a problem with Hellboy, then, you know, he won't have a problem with Liz. She asks, Does he know what I did? Do you want him to? And they just have a look, right? He goes, Then no. We see them driving over and we're listening to Paul Simon, Loves Me Like a Rock. Do you know this song? <laughs> I don't think Liz is very fond of it, the way that she says Paul Simon Why on the he... little word bubble. <laughs> it's the ice there. Bubbles. I wonder
2: if that's just like maybe she again thinks like, oh, he's just patronizing me. He doesn't really want right. to talk to me or well, be my friend. you know."
1: I wasn't too familiar with the song, so I listened to it and it has a very kind of gospel oh, kind of okay. song it kind of sounds like it i don't know if it's a religious song but it sounds like it could be sure. or it's got that kind of tone to it when i was a little boy when i was just a boy and the devil
0: called my name when i was just a boy i say now
3: Oh yeah. I mean it was from the seventies, so yeah. I mean it kind of probably
1: like sounds something like
3: Jordan Sorry thinking or she's
2: she's like just that. very salty about it. Yeah, and right. Broom
1: is, you know, he's trying he's like, You can pick a different station if you want. And she's like, It's not necessary. She just digs her head in this magazine okay. and this is Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. It's an American horror magazine started in nineteen fifty eight by publisher James Warren and editor Forrest J. Ackerman.
3: I don't know why this. I saw this earlier and it, it kind of bothered me a little bit. If you look at the one panel where she's picking up her pills and it's got the flat top and then you see her drop the pills and it's got that raised top and all oh that? it has the d- <laughs> that's the kind of top that didn't come out until like the 2000s I'm sorry I have uh, to be Mr. <laughs> nitpicky we can continue now
1: well these might be special BPRD uh, yeah they're government bottles, issue so maybe they uh, they had that technology beforehand <laughs> and it was classified Aubrey god <laughs> oh but uh, but it changed in shape too yeah but, uh, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that too because she takes the pills out of the suitcase and kind of throws them under the seat right she
2: hides them yeah
1: yeah yeah,
2: whom's amongst us? But I,
1: <laughs> I also wanted to talk about this magazine. So I was looking for this exact cover, and so this cover it says it's issue 124, and it says the Transylvanian Terror tribute to Lugosi from April 1976. So that oh, fits Lugosi? in with the timeline. On the cover is Herman Horatio Robles. He was a Spanish Mexican theater, film, television, and voice actor who lived from 1929 to 2015, and he's popular for this vampire movie called El Vampiro. He is said to have influenced Christopher Lee's performance in his vampire films, and he also went on to do the dubbing of Kit for Latin America Knight Rider
0: all right oh shit that (laughs) sounds awesome
1: so like when you texted me that picture um i was trying to figure out who that vampire was because i found the cover but i couldn't tell who the actor was and so i I had messaged it to you last night well it's funny though because when you texted me i was all like
3: but this is gonna come up in the story yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah just because of that one panel where she's seeing the magazine i was like i know that magazine i have to find that cover now
3: Oh, so once you actually told me who it was, it reminded me I watched this video not too long ago that compared like 10 different Dracula films and how accurate they are to the book. And I think, oh, okay. I think that was one of the ones I Oh, yeah, about. nice. Of course,
1: I could be wrong. I just like also that she reads monster magazines too, right? That's what she's into. They meet Father... i I'm it's a real magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they meet Father Vafitas and they make their niceties. He apologizes for the construction. They're having the house repaired, right? you must be elizabeth he says to liz i'm sorry the house is in such a shape and no television so i hope and then she just sits down and she goes why don't you tell us a ghost story it's right so liz, she, though. Yeah. She,
2: she continues this she method continues to be like that. Of investigation into adulthood that's a very adult liz thing to say
1: and I, f- I keep forgetting this pill bottle so when they're getting out of the car the broom finds the pill bottle yeah right but he doesn't say anything He's just like, we're going to go to a hotel later. You'll have a room to yourself.
3: And he puts it back in her suitcase, though.
1: Yeah. He's
2: very chill about it, yeah.
1: Yeah. The father tells them the story of Anne Whittier. She was accused of witchcraft by Henry Hood a madman who claimed to be doing God's work. Henry Hood. And we oh, saw yeah. Henry Hood in Hellboy Darkness Calls. did we also read something on the Whittier Legacy? We did, and I was wondering if that had anything in common with this, but I couldn't really find a link. But it could be. It could be a link to the Whittier Legacy. The Whittier Legacy was the one where they had those medallions. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I bet Jerry would know. <laughs> <laughs> when Anne was accused of witchcraft, they moved to America she later married thomas caldwell and they built a house on that property where this house is where the father and broom and liz are but later america had their witch trial stuff and it came to light that she had been suspected of witchcraft and liz interrupts she's like what if she was guilty and the father's like excuse me and she goes you sound real mad at this hood guy but what if the girl did whatever he said she did so, she puts out this idea that maybe right. this was all justified, right? Well,
2: I think there are two things going on here. One, maybe she hasn't, she's 14, maybe she hasn't researched this topic right. enough to know that witch trials were basically just dudes being like, I'm afraid of women and I think they're weird, kill them all. And it's, <laughs> so, I think that she maybe doesn't know like the... the political historical stuff behind it quite yet like she hasn't studied it or whatever and then like another thing that's going on here is she feels super guilty for killing her family by accident and she has a whole thing with guilt and right. she's like well, what if they did something bad what would oh, you think of them yeah, then yeah. to kind of be like I like you know, that yeah. well what would you think of me what, what if you knew this about me what would you right. say then you would probably want them dead you'd probably it's want me like dead
1: when, uh, it's kind of like when Daimyo was talking about the Wendigo but he was really talking, talking about, about himself, himself. Yeah. yeah and he was yeah. like <laughs> that, oh I bet yeah. you these people don't even care about him anymore they probably forgot all about
2: it. yeah exactly she's trying to
1: yeah kind of that's edge. awesome it's
2: might even be like a sub. you know she she doesn't maybe have a whole handle on her own thought process quite yet but i think it's quite clear that whether she's conscious of it or not she's, right. she's thinking about herself
1: i like that the father says that the caldwells were imprisoned and thomas died in chains and was freed but when she came home these ruffians showed up there right and they killed her
3: so, him dying in chains, it looks like it was just coincidence he was in chains, because it looks like they beat the shit out of him. Right, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, while the father is telling Liz the story, she picks up this book that he's reading. And so, I had to look for this book. It's John Updike's A Month of Sundays and there's a lot of like sex and adultery stuff in this book. Right. So I thought it was kind of weird <laughs> that this book is that this is the book that he's reading and then there's a point where Liz picks it up and she's like looking at it. Anyway. Well,
2: he says um they killed her and they burned the house to the ground and that's when Liz kind of looks up.
1: Right. And then all of a sudden the door slams and this fireball comes out of the fireplace. And Liz has this vision too, which I thought was kind of weird yeah. because it just seems like a spooky vision, but when you really look at it, it kind of like Looks like the Black Flame a little bit, right? A little
3: bit. Oh.
1: And oh. she's going to go on to go up against the Black Flame in that right. storyline. Didn't she kill the Black Flame? Uh, well, looks like... Well, yeah. At the end of King of Fear, she yeah. sent that big fire. Yeah, you're right. Yeah.
2: Did they burn her remains? Because they burned the house to the ground.
1: Yeah, so maybe that's what that I is. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're so right. Anyway,
2: she looks at the professor and she's all freaked out and he's like... Hey, uh, so have ghosts ever done anything like this? And he's like, no, no way. Just door slamming and shit. He goes over to... S- he's concerned about Liz. And he walks over and she's like, oh, don't worry about that. You know, he's trying to comfort her. Professor Broom is like, oh, uh, Elizabeth. Right. Very stern. And she's like, oh, I didn't do anything. And he's like, you need to calm down. I shouldn't have brought you here. It was an un- unnecessary risk on my part to bring you after you've been doing so well. Right. Why don't you go outside? Can you imagine yeah. already being so fragile and already... Thinking everyone fucking hates you and feeling so awful and bad about yourself in general, and then someone saying that to you. Yeah. Who's someone you're supposed to be able to trust? And you're like, fine, I guess I'll fucking go outside then. Fuck all of you. Like, I can see. Fourteen-year-old Liz is right. absolutely at the end of her rope at this point, and Broome isn't really—he's
1: not really equipped to be
2: no, doing this. Absolutely not. <laughs> Wait,
3: but he raised Hellboy. Yeah, so, I think if I mean, Hellboy I,
1: were I, I, there, well, not just that, not just. But he, Hellboy I don't think he—he he doesn't have that gentle touch. Though. He doesn't have that um, dad. I, I think, yeah. yeah, I think thing that she needs. We talked about this a little bit in the way that he dealt with Anders as well. Yeah, a and a lot bit. of
2: kids yeah. turn out super different from their parents for that very reason because. They see, wish they had had someone more affectionate, so that's the person they become. But you know, to like, kids, we
3: see those scenes where he's playing ball with Hellboy and sure, all those pictures of them. But in he the was mostly pack. busy doing a lot of other yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well, true, but I'm just saying. And then Hellboy did take like what five days to grow up or something like that, right? Sure. <laughs> so I think if yeah.
2: Hellboy had been on the scene, he would have been like, "Hey, it's okay." Liz, you know, right, calm right. down. He would have been doing kind of what the priest is already doing. Yeah, like what he was trying her. to do. Yeah, but yeah, she—who's to say she wouldn't have stormed out anyway?
1: Sure. Well,
3: oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably a given. But I just, I just, I, I expected a little bit more from Broom.
2: Uh, I kind of didn't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and Liz storms out, and she starts walking into the woods. And she passes by that wind chime, wind chime again. Yeah. We see this; these people that are working on the house, they kind of see her also walk by. And while she's walking in the woods, she hears some ghosts. She hears them saying, they're reciting pieces from Nahum 3-4. That's where that verse comes from. And we're going to hear some more of that later. And then she runs into this kid, right? Teddy, the son of the guy that's working on the house. And he's been helping out too. And he thinks Broom is Liz's dad. And he tries to be all cool, right? Yeah. It's Liz cute. calls him a choir boy. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, you probably saw me out in the yard while he's lighting up this. Cigarette yeah, yeah. That's really cute. Okay, so what? He's probably like, what, 14 or 15
2: years old? Yeah. Yeah.
3: He goes, I'm having a Nick been fit.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Well, oh, that's that's
3: what kids that's who want to yeah. smoke yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. They
2: want to be cool. And it's it's a very cute scene. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, I'm Teddy. And she's like, that's a kid's name. And he's <laughs> like, no, nah, that's what they call you when your dad's name is Ted. Right. And I think that's kind of a charming little line. Right, right. It's a little ahead of his years kind of to diffuse the situation. And he asks her name and she just says, Liz, oh, why well, call me a choir boy? She's like, well, you're wearing a cross. Like, that's the first thing she noticed right, about him, yeah. Right, yeah. So he's like, ah, oh, well, my parents are wicked religious. So he's got, let me just say, he's got a Boston, is this like a Red Sox jersey i would oh, assume yeah, so. yeah. and he's in massachusetts got the cross and he's a very cool kid smoking so yeah can we kind of assume that he's like a i don't know i don't even know the colloquialism but he's um, my parents are wicked religious like he's a yeah, yeah he's a tough rough and tumble kid sure he's helping his like dad that. do construction you know it's one of those
1: yeah kind of deals smoking a cigarette in the woods
2: so he said they'd rather see me walking around without pants than without the cross on
3: yeah I found, <laughs> I, I found that very <laughs> hilarious <laughs> yeah
2: so it cuts back and forth between them in the woods and then um, Professor Broom smudging this house, which I don't even want to get into that.
1: Right. He's cleansing it with sage or something.
2: Sure. No, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying like, oh, that's not a thing. I just there's just the way you said it that I was. read I read some articles from some friends of mine that posted like, oh, people who are not indigenous. Using sage like white people using sage to like cleanse their house. They don't even know what it's about, but I guess should we kind of in the context of the story be like maybe Professor broom knows all these different cultural yeah, things to do. Yeah, he might actually. W- he know thinks what that this is doing. the best the best type of thing to do, and he's yeah, got maybe well, a multitude a of point. things in his tool belt. To that's do. a good
1: point. They think it's the house. Yeah, they think that it has yeah. something to do with the house being haunted, and that's why all this stuff is happening. Right. So we'll. Kind but we of... don't. But we don't know that yet. <laughs> yeah, which is
2: why I, was, I didn't want to get into it. But like, yeah, so we won't get into all the cultural whatever about it but professor broom probably has like a multitude of different things oh, yeah, no, that he, he can draw from yeah, and yeah it was like, definitely studied yeah we'll do this one yeah. we'll do this this is the one we'll do
3: <laughs> i also like the uh, the transition from i mean not to have to transition the, the, it's going back and forth yeah. the juxtaposition between the uh, kid waving his cigarette around and the smoke coming up and then the professor oh yeah
1: yeah that's a par- right. it's
2: a great a good yeah. uh, parallel i like yeah. that i like this roll top desk cute <laughs> the oh furniture. yeah anyway so he's like oh what's that sound and she's like it's just the wind in the trees you know and oh well i thought i heard somebody talking
1: right so he hears something yeah and he also suspects that liz and broom are there for the ghosts right. right and he offers liz a cigarette too
2: well she's like oh you believe in ghosts and he's like well you know if there was a ghost i definitely want to see it like he's trying to be <laughs> tough and yeah i'll wear my manners here is have a smoke and she's like oh shouldn't you not do that and he's like, ah, judge not lest ye be judged. And it's a cute little moment. And then right. all of a sudden there's a huge fucking scream and he flips out. <laughs> he
1: gets really scared this bottom panel yeah. where he's like kind of his eyes are bulging. And they hear this crack in the scream. And we're going to see this scream a couple times to this specific IE or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. We also hear more of them reciting this is from Jeremiah 5031 behind Teddy and Liz. They see this kind of like, hanged ghost or whatever. Well,
2: she's floating. I don't think she's hanged. Oh, she's
1: not. I thought she was kind of in a hanged position.
3: Yeah, because like the way her feet are and... Yeah, I maybe, thought maybe they maybe. they hanged her. Maybe they did because that's actually more <laughs> they what they shot did. Her. They well, I mean, like in the Salem witch show oh, they did yeah. more
2: hangings. And yeah, they definitely did. Yeah, yeah, no, but
1: I think you're right. I think they do shoot her. Well, so who maybe knows? she's anyway. She's levitating.
0: bloody and oh, gross yeah. and very scary. Yeah, and on to well, the she next. does
1: have a bullet hole in her head. So
0: they
2: probably that. did a number of things. Maybe they strung her up after they killed yeah. her. Anyway, gross. And then the next one
1: in issue two, we pick up here, and so after seeing this scary ghost, Liz and Teddy run off. Broom overhears oh, them and they run up to Teddy's dad and they start telling him what everything that they saw and Broom overhears them and Teddy's dad he says that he smelled burning and Liz was like it's just a tiny bit of fire so I don't know if you noticed that at the end of issue one where they see the ghost you see this little bit oh, of yeah. fire appear yeah. over Liz's head and she mentions the ghost again but then Teddy starts going back on and he's like saying he's not sure that's what he saw. Yeah. And so Liz starts going off right here, right? And she's also feeling all afraid about this fire stuff, too.
2: Yeah, she's already kind of keyed up about it. Professor's like, oh, that's enough. I'm stern dad. Right. Well, you're, you're not in trouble, but you're drawing attention to the thing you're trying to keep secret. And I think that that's kind of, that adds a little bit of shame. Right. Like, oh, you really should try harder to keep a lid on this. You're trying to keep the secret, right? Well, you don't want to call attention to yourself. I think that's the exact wrong way to take it it's a very fragile feeling that she's got going on so right. i felt kind of but bad do, for him he doesn't I, know what to do well, but so, I, 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 I do feel I'm like,
1: like <laughs> i i feel like what he's trying to say is good but i think it's just too logical and it doesn't have that careful gentleness that maybe hellboy would have sure. trying to deliver something like that well
3: yeah i mean i i guess like because we you know she doesn't want them to know so i was just like sure yeah i think he's just trying to calm her down the fastest way so he can of course he probably just you know, like you said he should be a little nicer about it right i think yeah.
2: he's got a little thing about it too though I think yeah he's got a little hang up about it sure like i don't think she's totally wrong about her attitude towards him she can kind of sense it when people like feel a little weird about her
1: right they leave and the professor he apologizes to the father and he says um that he'll call him in the evening so they're back at the hayes hotel and Liz is unpacking, and she finds the pills there, right? Because Broom put them back in the suitcase. She hears rocks at the window, and she went, She goes to look out there, and it's Teddy. Cute. And they have this scene. They go running around, right? That's this is a cute little, little scene. That's yeah. fun,
2: yeah. Well, they're 14.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is before... Those kids had all those cell phones and Duh. Pokemons.
2: No, but I remember doing, you know, <laughs> stuff like this. You're a kid, had you want to go, go hang out. The,
1: they had to go kick the can.
3: Or, um, yeah, no, and, I do like this. And they're kind of <laughs>
1: laughing and stuff like that. And so so Teddy's like, hey, after you guys left, the priest told us your whole deal. And she's like, so what? She thinks they're talking about the yeah. fire stuff, right? He's like, you live with your uncle at the BPRD. That's amazing. You live with Hellboy. I mean, holy crap. He's impressed right? with that, yeah.
3: <laughs> and then he's like, he smokes, right? Hell- Hellboy, oh, smokes, yeah. right? Hellboy smokes, right? <laughs> yeah. And then she,
2: she, I love her response. Oh, he quit, right? Like, I want to think like maybe she saw him smoking and he was like, ah, oh, maybe I'll, I'll try and quit. But then eventually, that's he what he's
1: told her. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. So
2: like eventually. <laughs> obviously he doesn't and eventually I kind of thought maybe she got the smoking from him maybe
1: because she goes on to smoke yeah, yeah you
2: right so but then this is another little thing here that kind of adds to that
1: I don't know it's like
3: she kind of started smoking with this kid but I can't right well yeah that. that's th- is, yeah. I, yeah.
2: my initial theory was oh obviously she's taken after Hellboy with the smoking but yeah. it might be part of that and because like you know maybe he said he quit but then partially this this kid here what's his name Ricky Timmy? Teddy. Teddy well and then also <laughs> it
3: is the it is 70 it's like 76 right People still smoked a shitload yeah. during that yeah. time. <laughs> uh,
2: the just... dad didn't seem too concerned that his kid had run off to go smoke cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like...
3: it, it's just like, you know, maybe it wasn't just like Hellboy. Maybe it was just everybody around here smoked.
2: <laughs> so he was like saying, oh, I heard stories about a ghost. Kids tell each other ghost stories. But I uh, the things I heard were what we saw today. So he's kind of putting it together and he thinks it's real.
1: Right. And Liz is like, well, why didn't you say anything earlier? Yeah. Yeah. And he says it's because it didn't seem like Broom believed her. And Teddy says that it's not the house, but the woods that are haunted. Well, he's
2: got a point, though. He's like, well, my dad's not going to listen. If any grown-up was going to listen, it would have been your uncle who works for the fucking BPRD. Right, but He yeah. seemed like he shot you down, so I wasn't going to fucking stand up to him.
3: Sure. Oh, so he misinterpreted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so yeah.
2: he's he's saying, well, the woods are haunted. And then all of a sudden, we get this cut. It cuts back in the day with Ann um with Ann Whittier, Whittier, yeah. Yeah
1: broom goes back to the father's place he says he wants to finish it tonight and he starts to set up this stuff he's got like a candle and a medallion and we see the father is reading that book again and the priest wonders if liz was right perhaps whittier was a witch and him being a priest provokes her he's like looking at broom's medallion and he's like i want to rid the house of ghosts but i don't want to embrace the occult in order to do it
2: which is the dumbest thing he's reading a a smut
1: book didn't you sell us that <laughs> I know right and, well, uh, I just, and also the medallion, oh maybe that's why they put that in there the, I wonder if that's why they. yeah, yeah it's that's so great. ridiculous
2: I don't want to embrace the occult even though the thing that I believe is somehow the most ridiculous of all the possible things anyway he's looking at this fucking medallion and that looks like a fucking Norse thing oh you're right it looks like yeah. the Norse Um, oh, god I forgot what it's fucking called I have to look for that
1: Broom says you called me here condemn my methods and I'll be on my way and so they kind of reconcile, and he's like, oh, please respect your hosts. he's like,
3: my friend, I mean no insult, but please show respect for your hosts. And he like pans over to a picture of Jesus behind <laughs> him. It's
2: really just...
3: Uh, Jesus looked like he's hippie Jesus in this one, to be honest. He yeah. He's like, that right, everybody, we're going to sing Kumbaya. It's definitely white <laughs> Jesus, for sure.
2: But I, <laughs> I just, I don't know. This whole thing really illustrates the ridiculousness of the whole situation of like,
0: yeah this
2: catholic priest's like oh i don't know about this occult stuff like dude your shit is haunted calm down
1: right and we get a flashback here to 1973 kansas and we see liz's origin this is like kind of like the first time we've seen this and so there's like some birthday party that they were at i guess and
3: i'm assuming it's
1: sarah's birthday yeah <laughs> and uh we see liz she's throwing away a barbie and it's all burned, right? And yeah. then so her mom comes up and she's like, Oh, Sarah's mom said you were playing with the Barbie and then ran out of the yard with it. So I guess she accidentally burned it. She's yeah. trying to hide I, the evidence. To hide it. So she asked Liz to go back and help her look for it. So Liz goes off, and then we see the mom discover the burned Barbie.
2: So I think at this point, if you're a mom and you find that your kid burned up a Barbie, you're like, Oh, she, maybe she lit the Barbie on fire. Maybe we right. should send it to a yeah. therapist. But you're not thinking my kid has pyrokinesis. pyrokinesis yeah. yeah.
3: And I'm also thinking that that's probably not the first time she's found something like that. Because Liz is saying, saying, no, no, not again. So she's probably hidden stuff before. Oh, right. And so, you know, the mom is probably, you know, connecting some dots here and there. A little worried, yeah.
1: And we see Liz's dad down here in the panel. We saw him briefly when she had that weird nightmare. Yeah. Remember? In Gods and Monsters. And so, I guess this one little kid, he starts, like, pulling on her hair. What a dick. And so... There's like this big flame sound effect, and then we see this kid on fucking fire, yeah, right? So he just grisly. starts burning, and then it just everything starts burning. We see Liz's parents running up, and yeah,
2: and Will with the he had the cap gun.
1: You're right. He's yeah. a skeleton.
2: Very suddenly, everyone's a skeleton.
1: And her mom's comes running in the yard, and she had that Barbie in her hand. So Liz is kind of she's retelling this to Teddy, and. She tells him that she suspected that her mom knew. I'd hid it in for months, the fires, these little accidents. But right before I killed her, she knew what I was. And so she clarifies to Teddy that the professor isn't really her uncle. He's where my real uncles left me.
2: Can we talk about how she watched her parents burn to Yeah, death? this panel her up here her is brother. crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like her watched friends. watched her flesh melt off of her bones and completely burn up her face and char her body. Like that is awful.
3: Also, I think it's really sweet and touching that Liz is opening up to somebody, her right? Age. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good, it's it's healthy for her to be able to express this. Yeah, it's um, the
2: first time someone's really been able to also listen and be like, well. How do you feel about that? Like instead yeah. of people just be like, oh, that's scary.
1: And and I like that the kid's not getting freaked out.
3: He's no.
2: Away. He's, he's like, being chill.
1: Yeah. And she goes, so the priest didn't tell you guys everything, but this is why he can't stand having me in the house. And Teddy's like, you don't think it's because you're wicked mean to him? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and she's ready to bail. She says, oh, fine. And she jumps down like she's going to leave. And he's kind of like. I don't care that you're mean to him, but it's like you're, it's like you think everyone's automatically going to be mean to you because of this thing that you did or whatever. And so you were about to ditch me, but I think I'm being pretty chill and I like you and I don't think that stuff was your fault. And so they look like they're going to have a moment here, but right. then she runs away. And so this kid is like, ah, right. Rain yeah. And anyway,
1: that's, yeah, they have that little awkward kid moment. Well, I mean, all of a sudden, she
3: got scared because she's like, oh, shit. They're you both
2: know, kind of it's teenagers. Well, it's like, yeah. kids. It's know? like,
3: you know, I, I just told him my deepest, darkest secret. Sure. He didn't run away from me. And he's what do like, I do? You know, he's genuinely being nice to me. I better run away.
0: Yeah. <laughs> run away. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we get another flashback to Ann Whittier, and we hear those Bible verses that have been haunting the woods.
2: This is a very grim scene here.
1: Yeah. I gotta
3: say, though, I'm impressed with that wind chime. I mean, it, it uh, stuck around for 400 yeah. years because it's still in the <laughs> way to go wind chime.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so they have Ann Whittier and they're about to shoot her.
2: It's pretty awful. Yeah.
3: Well, so... and then there are those lettering that the ghost is screaming. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's the
2: same scream. It's Yeah, they're trying to make it distinct so you read it as being the same scream. That's interesting.
1: Liz and Broom, they eat at a diner and her pills are brought up He's again. He's fucking riding right? her about
2: these pills. That
1: damn Jenny. Liz asks Broom what's his plan for dealing with the house. Broom says he has experience in these matters, and I'll need to get the spirit to manifest. I'll acknowledge it, then convince it to move on from this world. And Broom has also heard the Bible verses. And while they're talking about this, Liz keeps having these flashbacks of killing everybody too, right?
2: And he very calmly mentions, "Ah, I, was, I know you snuck out." And she's like, "Oh no, I didn't." She gets so freaked out and right. defensive. She's super defensive about it, but he's like, "Ah, oh, so these little uh, footprints leading little to your wet, room. little wet footprints." <laughs> I leading to like to his your little room. hand motion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he seems from his demeanor he's he seems like he's teasing her about it.
1: He's trying but, to cool it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it,
2: but he doesn't seem like he's. Now, young lady, I know you snuck out. Where were you? You can't be doing that. No, he's very like, "Um, oh, so yeah. Liz, snuck out, did you?" Yeah. And uh saw those little footprints, but she kind of takes it as
1: you're spying on she's me. She's very defensive. Yeah. Oh, you
2: you're spying on me. I can't fucking believe it. And he's like, "Oh, come on. You don't have to be like this. You know, i just trying to keep an eye on you, and I guess I'm not doing a good job, but you know, you have this huge burden on your shoulders, and that sucks." And it's not you that I don't trust, but it's the fire. You know, we have to help right, you master yeah. it. And then you can have power over it and all this stuff. And so he's trying to give her a little pep talk.
1: Right. Back at the priest's house, Teddy and his pops work on the house.
0: Broom... looks like
2: Gene from Bob's Perkers.
1: Oh, yeah, it does. Obviously, this
2: book predates that, but...
1: <laughs> Broom meets with the priest, and he calls to Ann Caldwell. He calls on her to be seen, but he doesn't get a response. And we see Liz also going off into the woods again. Broom tells the priest that he's got to get Liz back to Fairfield. It was wrong of him to listen to Hellboy because his own frame of reference is skewed, he says.
2: Mm, I don't think that's accurate.
1: He says she needs normal human interaction and I can't give her that.
2: She can never have that. She needs more freaks and weirdos to be friends with. Right. But she needs people to actually fucking get on her level.
3: Okay. I can see what he's saying, that he's not, she's not going to get normal interactions taking him on like trips like this. But, of course, she did. We, this we is a meet total to cop-out. But but also, she's not going to get normal human reactions no. at the VPRD. Everybody's going to be afraid of her. They're right. Like science experience.
2: Until someone shows, like Hellboy's yeah. trying to do, that she's just a fucking... Pr- anyway, but I think yeah. this is the typical... You know, people like, well, I don't know about that... treating like a young girl like they're a different fucking species like i don't know anything about how to do that i'm just an awkward dad like no come on that's a cop out just try harder i know that she's a fucking basket case but you just gotta stick with it
3: of course he could also be just saying that to the priest to kind of smooth things over to be all
1: like yeah we're leaving tonight no matter what
3: right (laughs)
0: Uh,
2: yeah he's kind of a panicky new dad yeah he is he is
1: and i like this next page we see Liz is watching Teddy from the woods it's and then he cute. turns around and he sees her. So then he meets her out there and she's like, want to get rid of this ghost?
2: Yeah, they get a little, it's a cutie pie adventure.
1: Right. So Liz goes into the woods and she calls out to Annie. So the professor told her what his plan was. Right. So now she kind of knows what to do a little she's bit. She's like, it. oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, uh, yeah. that's bad. So she's calling out to Anne and she says she needs to show herself and then leave here for good she goes you can go to heaven if you want
2: here's where we see that professor broom's words did not fall on deaf ears she's trying it seems like to be yeah. like hey i'm going to own it i'm um, this is going to be my thing i'm going to have control over it and i'm going to instead of being afraid of it i'm going to think that it's something cool to do and i'm going to impress this boy with it so she kind of like i can light your cigarette with my fucking finger yeah and his eyes get real big but she's like waiting to see his reaction but then before they can you know have a little anything about it the fucking ghost appears yeah
1: i love i love Whoa. this transition
3: well i think his reaction was like uh he lit a cigarette and then he gave her one
1: he was gonna offer her yeah. one she was, and then she was she was taking that when nothing. she took it that's when that But, ghost right, be like, but yeah. before they
2: can have like any kind of conversation about that yeah. like and before he can be like oh that was cool like right. or whatever he was gonna do the fucking <laughs> i just turned i just remember turning the page and be like oh shit
1: <laughs> yeah and this ghost of caldwell appears in her fire uh, i love this effect um carl Molyneux, he does a really good job with this we don't want to hurt you liz pleads The witch trials were a scam. You were victims. And the ghost appears behind Liz, right? But it tries to attack her.
2: But she's saying, you don't need forgiveness. You just need to move on. Right. And that, I mean, it's kind of a you can give advice, but can't take it. Like she's sort of working through her own feelings, maybe. This is kind of therapeutic for her in a way of like she's telling this to the witch ghost, but she's also feeling this, maybe. I don't know.
1: The ghost says, these woods are mine, and she kind of goes after them. So then they freak out. They start running back to the house. Teddy calls for his dad, and the witch appears there, too. It's like, he, Teddy
3: calls to dad. She calls for the professor, and the witch pops up and slams the door in them.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and then there's sort of a parallel going on of they're dragging Anne. This is back in time. They're dragging her th- yes. to the woods, and then this is current time. They're dra- The ghost is dragging Liz. Yeah. And is invisible. It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting little um, parallel there like that. Yeah. And
1: we've been seeing this flashback throughout. So we kind of already know what's going to happen. So we see in the flashback that Whittier's eyes glowed red. Right. And then she threw out this power blast or whatever. So she was a witch then.
2: Yeah, right? but the thing is like she's being fucking attacked. Sure, by sure. Angry mob and but her I life just, is in danger. But I
1: just liked that reveal too. Sure. It's kind of like she's sho- really it's, a witch. it's showing us something yeah. It's showing us uh something that further kind of blurs that line a little bit. Not necessarily that she needed to be killed, but there were some these suspicions that they had yeah, yeah, were right. maybe not totally unfounded.
2: Sure. Which I i I mean, everyone knows my opinion about that. I'm not gonna rehash <laughs> it. I'm not gonna rehash it, but whatever.
1: And Teddy's dad, he shows up with a crowbar, and they're getting to the part of the memory where Whittier is killed, and it's like Liz is about to be killed, too, right? Right. But then Teddy's dad goes up, and he hits the witch with the crowbar, and I kind of like this, too, because I was wondering, did the kids, are they the only ones that see it? But right. no, they're all seeing it, yeah. too, right?
2: And I love this, I guess they're from Boston, this fucking attitude of, like, I'm just going to hit this fucking ghost <laughs> with a fucking crowbar.
1: <laughs> It seems to work, right? Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, I've seen like some like they do it in like Supernatural all the time. it's no, like, great. They, the, maybe not a crowbar, but a baseball bat, or sometimes a crowbar, but just something to disrupt the ghost. I just mean go. that. I just mean that attitude
2: yeah. of like, well, I guess I'll just fucking hit it. Like, oh I yeah, just, right. I love that he doesn't think twice about it. it. He just <laughs> runs up to it.
1: And the Whittier ghost kind of grabs the dad and kind of scares him, and then he's like all huddled up in this little ball too, right? And so there's like this uh, part of the tree where they shot Whittier. And so that part of the tree is bleeding, I guess, right? right. Where, from where her blood touched yeah. the tree or something like that.
2: And she's all, oh, the woods are mine. I'm going to kill you. And then Liz's eyes go all flames and just a huge flame that shoots up over the top of the trees right the woods and so that's that's the thing that's happening now
1: and so broom shows up just in time and he starts doing his whole exorcism thing what he was trying to do in the house but now he's doing it right here with the ghost yeah because they were
2: saying that's the woods are the things that's haunted
1: and the priest shows up and they're all doing it too right they're just doing going on and on with all their um
2: all the holy jesus it's a bibles and jesus time
1: and Liz is being held in the air, and then she falls as they're doing this, and we see the ghost kind of smack the priest.
2: They're casting out the spirit. Yeah. Amen.
1: So they cast her out, and after all this is over, Liz recovers, and she's all full of mud. She there's goes, a little bit of fire. She goes off with broom. Yeah, there's a little fire up in the tree.
2: But it's all right, considering, yeah. all things considered, yeah. the whole forest didn't burn down right
1: <laughs> Back at the Hayes Hotel, Liz puts on the cross she puts on
2: the trademark cross
1: yeah and outside teddy and his dad help the father to his car
2: his dad's got like a cigar
1: yeah and they see liz and broom off the father thanks broom and he thanks liz too he says you are a very special girl and she's like okay thank you
2: and the kids uh and then she
1: kisses this dude cute so they have this little moment, and the dad kind of smiles. Yeah, it's a cute yeah. little... And, uh, and Broom kind of salutes this kid or whatever. He kind of says <laughs> bye to him. I thought that was good. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty good.
2: So it's a little... Uh, it's nice to see an insight into Liz's tumultuous... When she's grown up, she's she's teenager. It's a little tough, but it's it's kind of a breakthrough moment for her, and it's nice to see that.
1: Yeah, it is, and it's nice to see broom trying to navigate that you know that role as uncle or whatever
3: so remember the other day we were talking about like origin stories and they're all like here's how you find here's how wolverine got his jacket and all that kind of stuff (laughs) right so this is technically was an origin story where we find out how why liz wears the cross and starts smoking but uh it was done very well so i did not mind it (laughs) no it was done well yeah Yeah.
1: and it's a welcome addition because we haven't seen anything kind of from that point of view or from young Liz other than that little flashback in Hollow Earth. If
2: it's something that serves to heighten your emotional connection to a character, that's fine. But if it's just like you said, if it's just a very, oh, there's the thing. Yeah. I recognize that thing. Yeah. I
3: mean, yeah. If it's like subtle, it's cool. If it's like all up in your face, Exactly. yeah it starts to
1: become a little tiresome yeah and we're gonna go to the abe sapien the drowning omnibus for this next story which is bprd casualties this was first published as part of the dark horse digital retailer exclusive program on july 2011 and it was only available in a digital format it was later collected in print as part of the bprd trade paperback being human written by mignola and scott alley Art by Guy Guy Davis. Davis. Yeah. Favorite Liz was drawn by Guy Davis. Yeah. (laughs) Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. We open at the Sturgeon River in Minnesota in August of 1981. Abe, Liz, and Vaughn, who we briefly saw in Ape Sapien Lost Lives, burst into this old cabin.
3: Wait, this panel is the cover?
1: Yeah. Well, that's just, uh, this was only a digital thing. It didn't have a cover. So, yeah, yeah. So, I think they just reused that as the cover.
3: All right, well, shut up, Aubrey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> they bust into this old cabin and they find all these old remains and skins, right? Gross. Yeah.
3: It's, it's some trademark Guy Davis horror. Yeah, I was yeah.
1: going to say, oh, I miss <laughs> that Guy Davis gore. And we get Liz. She kind of starts looking around too. She crawls under the porch And I love this bottom panel with Abe kind of investigating and behind him you see this kind of wolf shape but it's all kind of scratchy in the shadow. Mm -hmm. I really like that effect. We see it again on the next page too. Vaughn comes in and Liz calls for him to wait but it's too late. This werewolf jumps out and causes Vaughn to knock his head back on the wall and I love this guy Davis Werewolf. Yeah. It's so awesome. <laughs> oh,
3: it's fucking
1: disgusting. That's really
2: good. I love it. They put it down though, and
1: they all shoot at it. Right. Liz is
2: checking on Vaughn, and then Abe is like, "Oh shit," but he's just out because he knocked his head, and so uh, they're gonna take care of him when they get back to town. But he- she's like, "Oh, there's just one of th- one of those guys, right? You know." What's going on in here? And but Abe is not there. He's he's distracted. And he's she's a little like, uh, "Can you by, yeah, snap out of it, Abe?" Just what and happened? Yeah. He's like, "Oh, I didn't clear the door, so he feels responsible."
3: But I like Liz's response to him. It's like not to speak ill of the unconscious, <laughs> but he should have held back, right. like you told him to. <laughs> you <laughs> but, did fine.
2: But Abe is feeling like, "Oh, I don't want to be responsible for any more dead agents." And she's like, "Well, he's not dead. He's just he's just out cold, you right. know. So it'll be okay." But he's like, "Well, what if it wasn't okay?" And so right. it's kind of a Little moment there.
1: She's like, you have to get over what happened on that island. And she's referring to the drowning. Yeah. Because that's the one we read last week and all those people died. So he says, easy for you to say. She says, those were my friends who died. And he says, you weren't there. You didn't get them killed. Yeah, Abe, she says, I wouldn't know what it's like to get anyone killed. (laughs) And we get a flashback to the story that we just saw. Right. right? Where she killed her whole family. Mark
2: Twiddell. Good reading order. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But so she's referring to, yeah, she got her parents. She accidentally killed her parents. And so he's like... Oh, I know, like, you know, but this is a... So they're having a little moment here, and she's like, you know, you didn't get any of those guys killed. My first time in the field, I was a kid when a professor took me on a ghost hunt, and I almost got myself killed, so...
1: That's a story that we just yeah, read. Yeah, that's story we just read. Yeah.
2: And she was saying, uh, he said something that didn't mean a lot to me until much later, but it stuck in my head. He said, I never invited this stuff in my life, and he's right, I didn't ask for it. So she's trying to... Tell him, hey, man, right. we're all doing the best we can right now. Yeah,
1: and she makes a good point. She yeah. says the professor and people like Vaughn, they are asking for it. They're making a career out of it. But her and Abe, she's like, what else are we going to do? You see me getting an office job? We're not superheroes. We're just dealing with this stuff as best we can. So this is what happens. We'll always take a beating. But it's guys like Vaughn who are always going to get hurt. And so they take Vaughn off, and then outside we see that werewolf that they shot. It's now, a now it's a man. Yeah. 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 I like ending on that little thing. So yeah. yeah, it's just a little story, and it kind of reinforces reading those two stories, The Drowning Last Week and then The Dead Remembered Just Now. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah. It was
3: For, nice, nice little uh, cap to those two stories. Too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Always welcome to see more Guy Davis. Man, I, I love his art. <laughs> yeah, so um, I was reading in the sketchbook for for this one. It says that The Dead Remembered hadn't come out yet, so Carl Moline drew a little pencil of this scene so that way Guy Davis would know what to draw to reference it.
3: Oh, yeah, vicious.
1: I kind of like that. Okay, so that means that it was planned then. It yeah, it was works. planned, yeah. Ah, oh, cool. Next we're going to talk about Abe Sapien, The Haunted Boy. This issue was published as a one-shot in October of 2009, written by Mignola and John Arcudi, art by Patrick Reynolds, and another cool cover by Dave Johnson, who did the covers on BPRD 1948, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. We open on this skate falling underwater, and this woman screams out, And we realize that somebody fell in the ice, right? This is kind of showing the aftermath of something terrible happening. An ice skate, to be sure. Yeah, an ice skate, yeah. We cut over to the BPRD headquarters in 1982, and Abe meets with Broom. Broom's got a mission for him. In January, two boys fell in the ice. One survived, and the other, Adam Lazio, died. The mother had difficulty coming to terms with his death. And then in late May... And then they see this kind of ghost shape. I kind of like how um, they don't describe it. He's just like, and then in late May, and then you just see this panel of this like weird uh, shape over the water. And so there have been multiple sightings. And Abe says that he'll take it. He's encouraged by Broom's faith in him. He might still be feeling bad about what happened in the drowning. Well, they can't all be like the burning army of Qian Chi. And Abe says, thanks God for that, sir. Anyway, it's better than sitting around doing nothing. And so I tried to look for this. uh, Chien Chi is in Malaysia, but I couldn't find a reference to a burning army. So Hmm. I don't know what what that's a reference to. Maybe we'll find out later. Maybe our listeners know. We cut over to Abe in Vermont, and he's wearing his trench coat and his hat. We haven't seen him wear that since Seat of Destruction.
3: Yeah, I, I saw that, and I was just like, what? But and, I guess he was wearing it for a while before suit destruction. Right.
1: Yeah. And then um, I wonder if this is like the pre-sweater phase. Like first he had his like trench coat <laughs> phase. And then he kind of gave up with that. And then he's like, let me try out this sweater thing.
3: Well, it's like, if you think think of it this way, I mean, this whole trench coat, he's got the scarf and he's got the glasses. He's trying to hide himself. Right. And then when he's in the uh, sweater phase, he's like, you know, I'm just going to flaunt what I got. And, of course, he he, he wears a crappy sweater.
1: (laughs) But he looks cool. I like the way Patrick Reynolds draws him in this uh, hat and glasses. He looks really cool. So he meets with this one lady, Rachel Sturges. She says that Miss Lazio is at her place. And she started when she sees Abe. At first, she just starts talking to him. And then she realizes that, you know, that he's a fish guy. And yeah, she's the mother of the kid that survived. So Abe meets with Miss Lazio, too, at the house. And she says that she hasn't seen the ghost. But her friend, Miss Sturgis, has seen it three times. Abe asks if he can see the other boy, Jacob. But Miss Sturgis says Jacob hasn't been the same since the accident. He hasn't been back to school. And he almost never leaves his room. But the other lady... Uh, Tina, Ms. Lazio, she convinces Miss Sturgis to let Abe talk with him. So Abe goes up to meet with Jacob and this kid is like, Go away. And then when he sees Abe, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. So like when he sees it, it's this fish guy. I really like that moment. I was going to point out that I like his uh, wall poster choice with E.T. and uh, poster guys and sure. Empire. Oh, yeah. Good eye there, Aubrey. Yeah, we see these movie posters in Jacob's room. He tells Abe that he has to sit on the floor to talk to him, right?
2: Yeah, and he's saying, oh, you got green skin. And Abe's like, yeah, I'm, I'm weird you're we're both different and he's like yeah but you look different i bet people stare at you and he's like mom you can't smoke in my room i told you that already (laughs) and she's like oh sorry and he's like get out of here leave smoking's bad and he kind of freaks <laughs> out
0: kid, yeah yeah
2: and so he's like yeah okay yeah it's bad jacob hey what's this drawing it's real freaky and scary <laughs> uh why did you do you draw this horrible thing and he's like you have to go you gotta get out right. and
1: leave abe comes out and he says that he may want to talk to the sun again
2: and then he goes diving into the lake
3: Wait a second. Do you notice this poster? It's Pink Floyd, the wall from the movie. Which one?
1: Oh, yeah. There is the wall poster. Good eye there, Aubrey. Yeah, I love that. Pink Floyd, the wall. Cool. Yeah, and I love Patrick Reynolds' work here at night where Abe is going underwater. Like all the bubbles around him when he dives. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's hard to draw. It really is.
1: So Abe goes down there and some really nice panels. He sees this shape down there. An unusual manifestation, no doubt, but ultimately just another voiceless ghost. And this thing kind of comes up to him and he looks pretty scared, right? He has a kind of like a moment with it while it's kind of reaching well, out. Abe for
2: absolutely him. freaks the fuck out, runs into the house. The fucking busts into the door. Right. I need to see Jacob right now. She's like, oh, shit. You scared the crap out of me. He's like, ah, oh, it's important. Ah, the sooner the better. Yeah. I need to see the kid. And she's like, okay, damn. So she takes him back there. And he fucking runs into the little kid's room. He
1: pushes past, pushes past, past her. Pushes past the mom. He's like, I know, I know, I know what you did. I know what you fucking he did. He grabs the little he kid. grabs the kid by the collar.
2: <laughs> and the mom is like, "Uh, you need to get the fuck out of here.
1: And here's the dad coming with, like, a golf club like, oh, or something. Like, oh, my son.
2: But And, like, Abe looks like he's going to throttle this fucking kid. And then the kid is evil.
1: He's got this,
3: They'll yeah. never
2: believe you. Uh, and he fucking slams the kid against the wall. He they will. He says, they will. I love yeah. that
1: panel. I yeah. love that motion of Abe. Looks great.
2: He knows, man.
1: And then the dad
2: and in Dad's the back, about he's, to he's about to, him.
1: like, fucking slam him with that golf club.
2: But then, of course, we get the thing. Guy it comes out of the kid. Of its, yeah. Yeah.
1: Really grotesque effect really by awful. Patrick Reynolds. Yeah. I love how awful this looks. <laughs> it's really bad. And so then they have to fight this thing. It makes this kind of skull shape and yeah. it's got like a tail and it's and like claws. And then meanwhile, Jacob is left dead. Is a right? corpse. Oh, is my a disgusting God. That is corpse. so messed up. Yeah. It's really
2: fucked up. Is a dead? You're holding your dead child. Who has been dead for a while, and right. his corpse is super gross and uh, what's the word? Uh,
3: Decom- decomposed.
2: Yeah, it's like it's like uh, rigor mortis. Well, it's like um, oh, it's past rigor mortis. It's like uh, putrefied. It's all it's got putrefication going on. It's it's just horrible. Imagine being a mom and just all of a sudden this is happening now. Right. Like yeah. that is very dark.
1: Some great shots of Abe fighting this thing. I like the design of the monster. the design
2: of the monster is very mm. cool.
1: And it starts like trying to go back in the kid or something. It's like got these tentacles and it's pulling on the jaw. It's so awful. Just a really great horror work. Miss Sturgis, she gets her Zippo. She's been smoking this whole time. And so the kid didn't want her to smoke around him. So the creature had some aversion to fire probably. So she throws the lighter at it. It catches on fire. All this work is just fantastic work by Patrick Reynolds. The monster goes out crashes through the wall goes outside and jumps in the lake afterwards we see the aftermath a big hole in the side of the wall and the fire truck is there and abe's apologizing to the dad he's like sorry about the history on it yeah but i knew you needed to see for yourself or you never could have accepted it and so he's like so the last five months that wasn't my son how am i supposed to believe that how am i supposed to believe any of this the dad says and the mom is just she's just totally traumatized she's like he took everything abe says that jacob's spirit was freed you know he's not there anymore and then we see this spirit over the house and i guess that's kind of him that's kind of him watching over the dad's
2: delivery on this like the way that the dad is depicted is just so fucking heart-wrenching like he goes so is jacob is he still out there with the monster like he's he can't Right, help but yeah. think like is my fucking boy just trapped in an icy cold frozen lake with a monster for eternity right that i cannot handle and so he's you know abe's like oh i don't think he's there anymore very sad look on his right. face and my dad goes okay okay then right and he's like well my son is dead but at least he's not trapped with a monster. Right. Like it's very... Yeah, this is a really Very dark sad story. and dark, yeah.
1: Yeah. At the end, Abe is typing up his field notes. He says, further investigation suggests the apparition was a spirit of a drowned child held captive by a probable Naken nest. The Nikor, Nixie, or Naken is a shape-shifting water spirit in Germanic mythology. Usually appears in the forms of other creatures. Interesting. In conclusion, on a personal note, initially, I was disappointed that this case appeared to be just a haunting. It's important, however, for every agent to understand that there are many kinds of hauntings. And we see the two mothers just hugging, right? Both of their kids died.
3: Well, and you also see, like, they they sold their house. Right. And they moved up to where, uh, I guess, the other mother moved to. And it's just like, you know, they're embracing because they've been through the same thing.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. Who's this dedication to down here? Oh, okay. So yeah, if you look in the little corner of the panel, it says very small. It says for Steve Dancy. And so I did look this up. I looked up Steve Dancy. And from what I can tell by reading his obituary, I think Patrick Reynolds is either his son or his grandson. Okay. Yeah. And he had passed right around this time that this issue was published. All right. And now we're going to, yeah, in the omnibus, we're on page 329. And we're going to talk about subconscious. Subconscious was originally published in Dark Horse Presents 11 from June 2015, written by Mignola and John Arcudi, art and colors by Mark Nelson. So I wanted to talk about Mark Nelson a little bit. He's a great artist, and he actually has a studio here in Houston. His studio is called Grazing Dinosaur Press. Oh, cool. And when this story came out, I was working in the Sugarland area of Houston, which is kind of like a suburb of Houston and we've talked about Bedrock City a couple times. That's our local comic book store. Yeah. There's a Bedrock City in Sugarland. I was at the Bedrock City. I was looking at some comics and they had this issue that this story is published in. Bedrock City. Mark Nelson had come by and signed a bunch of issues. Oh, and so they were selling them. Awesome. He That's has awesome. A, he has a really unique signature yeah, it's cool. too.
2: I like it. That's cool. Whoa dude
3: that's awesome
1: yeah so i'll post a picture of that to kind of frame the story a little bit it says shortly after abe and hellboy faced the ogopogo professor broom headed to the arctic leading to his death in may 1994 so this is where broom is going on that cavendish mission and the return of the mad monk rasputin who'd summoned hellboy to earth 50 years earlier hellboy got his first hints about his fate as a beast of the apocalypse and Abe drove a harpoon through Rasputin. So and this is happening... They've after, really been through it. Right. So this is like the event's like right after Seed of Destruction. Exactly. So remember in the chain coffin, okay, in the chain coffin, Hellboy went and he spent the night in East Bromwich and he had that vision where he saw his dad mm-hmm. and his mom and all that stuff. Yeah, And he wrote it in a letter to Abe. Right. And then so... Um, He wrote this in a letter to Abe, and then it said, Abe Sapien dreams of fish. But so now this is Abe writing the letter back to Hellboy after that story. Telling him
2: the Mothman thing was a hoax.
1: Yeah, because at the end of that one, Hellboy's like, oh, there's this Mothman thing. Maybe we could go check that out. Yeah. So that's where this picks up. I really like that kind of continuity. And so we see them arresting this guy. He's dressed as a giant moth.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's some nice detail in that moth costume, especially the head that the cop's holding.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's got that long, weird tongue thing, right? Is that the tongue? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so... He's writing them because he's he's reminding Hellboy, Hey, remember last month you said after Agent Keel and I got into the fight and Hellboy is here saying in a flashback, I know some of these guys are total jerks, but a lot of getting along has to do with you. Yeah. They don't understand you. You gotta make the effort to make them see you're not so different and that's better for everybody. So he's trying to say, Hey, you know, like you gotta try and be Cool yeah. and reach out
1: that's kind of like what teddy was telling liz and the well, Dad remembered too kind
2: of but it's also not it's not quite the same because right. i think abe has a vi- there's a visual thing to it oh yeah yeah and of so course. abe is saying well from my point of view you know this is i didn't say it then but i should have said well that's easy for you to say because i'm different everyone treats you like because they you were you were raised around these people but right. I'm, I'm different because you know I'm not one of the guys I can't just fit in. And so the idea of me making a huge effort so everyone else feels comfortable kind of is rubbing him the wrong way. And so that's actually something that people have voiced in, like people people. people, You have voiced like, hey, why is it my responsibility to make other people forget about their biases? That's, they should work on that themselves. That's their responsibility to not be whatever, what it is, racist or sexist or whatever. And so Abe was kind of coming from that point of view. Like I'd rather be the comfortable one. I don't want to feel like I'm trying to belong. I don't want to, overhear people talking about me and all this right. stuff. And so...
1: How I smell or people humming yeah. the theme from Jaws. Right. Right. <laughs>
2: and so he says, you, you asked me once if I dream... And I do, and the dreams get really vivid. And we get, by the way, this art is so gorgeous. These cuttlefish, you know, it's, it looks like a painting, all these paintings. Well, yeah, the art really changes. Beautiful. So yeah. when yeah. it
1: starts off, he's in he's in the boat. And then when he goes in the water, it shifts to this, like, surreal yeah, kind of
3: really. Um, it almost gorgeous. It almost looks like, uh, it was almost like pastels or colored pencils or something like that right as soon as
2: he gets into the water which i think is so cool and so he's um he's saying i had a dream the things we see in our waking hours you and i it can be hard to tell the difference right so he's come across this shipwreck and there's these fucking jellyfish fishman, ghosts yeah and they're really I weird i love the design and the color yeah. on they're, these they the color of is cool, yeah. underwater
1: yeah it's really
2: cool something like ghosts or maybe not like ghosts i saw them as men transformed by death and by the sea into a new kind of a thing
1: and they're like you're finally here yeah. they start pulling them in right they're like it doesn't matter here and now And you breathe more easily here. And they're kind of welcoming him. It's our
2: world. You should be here with us.
1: And over these next couple pages, they just start wrapping all their tentacles around him. And they're kind of pulling him down. And then they start to kind of absorb him, too. Like you see his arm going inside one. That's a really cool effect, too, with the color and everything. And just um, it's hard to describe this kind of surreal color effect yeah. right everything yeah. has that gorgeous it has that what is it called where stuff glows underwater? Um, bioluminescent yeah it has that yeah. bioluminescent feel it yeah. really it really kind of he does a good job of capturing that kind of lighting
2: well he finally breaks free but they're still kind of like whispering at him oh you right. don't understand Yeah, you have to understand and there's a little close up on the cuttlefish again and he surfaces and now he's back in the other but he's out of the water and so the art changes back which is really interesting interesting yeah Yeah. there's a full moon it's gorgeous he's like they they they're wrong i do understand because his dreams go this one's not hard to interpret if it was a dream and he thinks it really happened right now Uh, what i'm saying is i will take your advice i'm gonna try a little harder to fit in up at the bureau what choice do i have
1: yeah yeah i like that so
2: that's the conclusion that he reaches after thinking about all of this he's like well i don't i don't think i should have to do this but then after i had this right thing it's like well maybe i should make more of an effort
1: well, and we, too, yeah, after and, this experience and, and we talked about we've talked about how Abe, he gets a sense of like this weird other jellyfish thing that he's a part of, but he yeah. focuses on call this white guy who was, who was like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. He focuses on that part instead and I feel like here that kind of scared him a little bit. Yeah. Kind of feeling that maybe he has more to do with these underwater things than, mm-hmm. than makes him comfortable, I guess. But yeah. I think the
2: dark, Part of it is that his conclusion is, yeah, maybe I should try and just fit in with the people more. So maybe that's where yeah. he starts to wear that sweater. Maybe
1: the well, maybe this no, is no, the no. beginning of his trench coat and. Uh... Yeah. No,
3: no, no, because this will be after the trench coat. Oh thing. yeah, no, you're right. Because we haven't seen him wear the trench coat since. This, this um... is
1: maybe he's he's dreaming about the sweater. At this yeah. point, yeah, because we, we didn't see him start wearing the. <laughs> he hasn't end. picked out what color. He hasn't decided sure. what color he wants yet. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and then, didn't he get the sweater after he found out about the Langdon call? Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah, being. Yeah. I'm All being. Right. Uh... <laughs> so I feel like this is like the time where he's like, you know, hey, I'm just gonna be walking around in my BPRD uniform, sure. looking yeah. cool, kicking ass, shooting everything first.
2: But he's saying that look, if I don't try to fit in with these people, then there's gonna be no place else for me except this. This is gonna be my fate. I'm gonna drown yeah. in my own loneliness. I don't know what the what it is but he's he like you said he feels scared that he has more in common with fish creatures than with people so it's kind of a weird
1: yeah really great story and i just love the artistic element of it with mark nelson and all his really cool coloring and art for our last story today we're going to talk about the ectoplasmic man this was released in correspondence with hellboy 2: the golden army in 2008 written by mignola and arcudi Art by Ben Stenbeck. Stenbeck. Yeah, we Stenbeck. love Stenbeck. We've seen him a couple times. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. And there's an awesome Mignola cover yeah. To oh, yeah. this is issue. Cool. I love seeing him do Johan and his different versions. You kind of see the dead Johan and then you also see the ectoplasmic one. So
3: Johann. you said this was released in conjunction with uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army? Right, yeah. That's ah, well, also where we got our cinematic debut of Johan. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, nice little, nice yeah, little that's uh, marketing tie in they did there. To,
2: well, they're trying to yeah familiarize people with the character. I like
3: yeah. that. That's cool. And I would say I prefer this Johan than the movie one. Right. Even if this one is acting a little dumb right now. But <laughs> we'll just see where he goes.
1: <laughs> and so, we open up in Germany in 2002. We've seen several allusions to this moment. Yeah. We saw it in Hollow Earth, and then we saw it in the BPRD teaser. So, Johan is doing the seance. And at this, while this seance is going on, in Chengdu, China, somebody breaks into this thing and they open this ancient relic that's got all this power inside of it. And so one little element to the story that we hadn't seen before is this little kid comes in. This little kid, I guess he's from Chengdu, China. Yeah. And he's like, can you help? Not me, my parents. They're alive but in danger. And then he goes, oh, it happens. Like right when that thing happens and he sends the blast to Johan. So that kid is the is the reason well, it's an why accident that, like, but but, but that's to. what caused the chain yeah. because they're in Germany and this thing is happening in China. So um, oh. I thought that was interesting.
3: But didn't they also say it, like affected like the whole world though in the spirit
1: kind of way? I think so. Maybe yeah. people who were like mediums or on right. that level. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to say as soon as we like see the first panel and it's like I'm Johann Cross, I was like, oh shit, we're finally getting Johan's the story story. Right. Yeah. Like you said, we've seen the, like the the little clips in the, the The flashes here and there, but we've never seen him actually sitting down at the table and starting the séance while the whole thing is going on in China. So I just thought that was pretty neat, you know. Yeah, the the
2: kid is looking for help, and he he doesn't know that he's accidentally going to cause this. So it's it's an accident. He just wants his help, but he accidentally ends up frying johan's body and then the people he's doing a seance with but only johan was could get out of his corporeal form right i guess yes. and has he's got a spirit just floating around so he's not dead but he is dead well his body is dead but his his spirit is still there right so that's a thing so yeah. anyway
1: and, and i think it's in the bprd teaser he looks at his dead body he goes
2: damn yeah I
1: like, <laughs> but it doesn't yeah. have it in this one but i i like that little detail so the I bprd
2: think- comes yeah yeah
1: and they find it and we see Izar Hoffman, BPRD. So Hoffman is the BPRD psychic, and he was referenced in the Wolves of St. Yeah. August. At the end of Wolves of St. August, it's like and Hoffman's team didn't find any more signs of the ghosts afterwards, yeah. you know, after all that oh. shit happened. So and now we finally get to see him. He was only referenced That's before. Cool. And he's meeting with this other guy, Jurgen, and they're just talking about the crime scene. And Hoffman, he points over to someone that he's talking to, but there's nobody there, right? Right. You gotta think that Jürgen's like, is this guy crazy? (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, Johann's surprised that Hoffman can see him, and so he's kind of explaining to him what happened. I was neither alive nor dead at the moment, but living ectoplasm existing outside of my body, perhaps that's why I survived.
2: And the guy's like, uh, yeah, you not I wouldn't didn't. say you
1: survived.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's very kind of grim. He's going back and forth with them. He's saying, hey, Johan, you know, you should just move on. And he's right. like, oh, I don't deserve to move on. I caused the death of these people. I feel bad about it. I've also, their souls might have been destroyed and that's horrible. And he's like, wow, yeah, but yeah. you have to move on. you know, if you don't, your spirit will dissipate because you don't have a body. And so he's like, oh, you don't want to haunt this place. You got to go. And he's like, oh, I don't deserve anything good. It's my fate to dissipate. Right. And he's like, yeah, but you're feeling guilty. You can't let that destroy you. You got to you gotta move on. And so.
1: He's like, if you feel there's good, you can still do in the world. Right. I'm with the BPRD and I believe we can help you.
2: So he's trying to go see maybe I can do some good over here.
1: While Hoffman is talking to Johan, he kind of turns And he just looks out the window and he just goes out there. Right. Right. And so Hoffman just kind of looks after him and he goes to this cemetery and there he finds somebody. I think this guy just died too. right? And so he's in the cemetery and he's like, people have been ignoring me for hours. I don't know what happened to me. And Johan's like telling him that he's dead. And he goes, no, you're lying. My girlfriend's waiting at home. I was just driving there a few hours ago, but I got lost. That's all. And Johan's like, so you got lost and you came to a cemetery? And so he's trying to like, Shut you up. know, he's trying to uh, convince this guy and tell him he needs to move on to salvation. And he
2: drops kind of a lot on him. He's like, oh, it's okay. I'm dead too. Yeah. In life, I <laughs> was Johann Krauss, a prominent medium, <laughs> but I can help you move on to salvation. And the guy's just flipping out. He's like, right. no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, a creepy creepster creeps around the cemetery and says, right. so oh, he- he's scared. <laughs> And you're being too dramatic and not comforting, and that's dumb. And the guy's like, oh, I'm going to go with this guy. This guy seems better for some fucking reason.
1: Yeah, and he kind of mocks Johan a little bit. Johan's like, wait, 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 you know, if you have a way of helping the dead, why is your name unfamiliar? I'm Johan Krauss. And he goes, a prominent medium, so I heard. Prominent medium. (laughs) And so Johan's like, this doesn't seem right, but this guy decides to go along with him. His name is Wyland Lorst.
2: Well, so he's trying to be the good cop. He's like, oh, you don't have to come with me, but you totally could. But you right. don't have to. And <laughs> so, you know, Johan's like, ah, wait. And the guy's like, oh, well, you're telling me I'm going to die. And this guy's like maybe gonna tell me something else right so that's yeah. basically what it hinges on
1: and then right as he gets him to go along with him he turns around and looks a creepy Johann, creepster? Men- menacingly Look, he <laughs> looks <laughs> at
2: him menacingly <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so johan's like oh no this is some bad shit so he goes and he tries to like help him he goes over to the house where lorst leads him and he just hears screaming there so he goes in there and he sees this guy but now he's like fatter you know he's, he's bigger, bigger yeah. and
3: very and he, very magenta in color
1: <laughs> right yeah he he is changing color and he's wiping his mouth just like he finished eating something so johan's like what are you what
2: have you done what have with, you done
1: what are you what's going on here ah uh, so you are used to all the small human ghosts is that it you've never seen anything that has stepped straight from hell have you You've never met a creature who lived off of death.
2: And he's becoming a, a monster with lots of rows of teeth. In yeah, his... he's
1: got this giant maw and he's like sucking everything in it. And he's trying to suck Johan he's in like there too. evil Kirby. And and I was sucking Kirby too. Yeah, <laughs> this crazy, uh, this work by Stenbeck is just awesome.
2: That caught me off guard. That was a little alarming. Yeah, it when really I saw is. That page, I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> so, but he can't, he can't devour Johan. He not having Johan, a hard time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, that's okay, I'm not hungry. Get out of here. You may go. You may go.
1: (laughs) The little move that he makes. Yeah, you may go. And Johan's just like, you monster. You prey on the confused and weak, newly dead. And when you consume them, they're condemned to the oblivion of outer darkness forever. In hell, there's awareness. There's hope. But you destroy even that. And so this guy's like, you bore me. Go find some other things to be angry about and Johan's like no you can't dismiss me i failed that lost soul but i'll see you punished somehow and so lars he shows him this weakness right he's got like this bullet that he made
2: yeah this is kind of weird he's like ah oh, you kill me go ahead
1: he's like i have this silver bullet blessed by pope gregory the 16th
3: well it sounds like he he didn't make it like he got it he took it from the great father deuteronomy's sasa cross
2: sure but it's uh, yeah it's just so but, but yeah he's no he's like,
3: yeah so he's he's showing him why don't you kill and me then
2: right like, okay and so he, he puts
1: down Here's the exactly gun exactly how to kill me he puts down the gun and the bullet and he's like kill me great medium and johan really tries he's, he's like i'm gonna get this fucking really bullet high. god damn it and it actually <laughs> falls over but he's not able to get it oh.
3: it's like that moment in pat and goes when patrick Swayze, he's trying to touch something
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so this lorist guy he just laughs at johan and he kind of banishes him away. So Johan goes out the window. Right. And then he goes right back to Hoffman. He's like, hey, I need your guys' help now. So we see them putting him in the suit and everything. He's like, ah, this is very comfortable, actually. Yeah, I like
2: that.
1: There's something about the simplicity I find liberating. And so we see they're kind of experimenting with his powers. He's able to bring this bird. He's able to, like, see this dead bird or whatever. Well,
2: he frees the little dead bird. And, and the and, dead bird is singing. And yeah. he's a sweet baby.
1: And we also see them putting on his trench coat and hat. So we—he was wearing this when he first got to the BPRD in Hollow Earth. Yep. He's looking forward to going to the BPRD, but first I need to make just one other stop. Ah,
2: so good. Oh, so good. And so
1: he goes back to that house. He's gonna fucking shoot that guy now. <laughs> and so it uh, also
2: looks like the Exorcist. Yeah. Poster, you were talking about
1: bit? that, so it does resemble the poster of the movie The Exorcist, kind of. Oh
3: Yeah, you're right. And cool. um,
1: in terms of the timeline, this is probably happening right after the events of Conquer Worm. Right. So it's kind of setting up all of that, too. Awesome. And then uh, hold on. in the BPRD Being Human trade paperback, we get these awesome covers by Joe Chen and we kind of see her sketches for it. And we get some really cool sketches of that werewolf that Guy Davis yeah, designed. Yeah, super cool. Oh, and yeah. we see those thumbnails that Carl Moling provided to Guy Davis so that way he could draw that flashback. And then what I really like is in the back, there are all these pinups that Stenbeck did yeah, those are awesome. when he was getting ready to do this story. And so he did an Abe and a Johan and this really awesome Roger one right here. Those are cool. So I'll probably post pictures of those so you guys can check them out online. All right. And so next week we're going to have some more Abe Sapien stories. We're going to finish off that Abe Sapien, the Drowning Omnibus. I'm really excited to get back to BPRD the week after that and pick up where our story left off with our characters. So we'll see you guys for another underwater adventure next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things.
3: So, share with us your thoughts on this week's BPRD short stories. You can send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link on our Facebook page and the About section along with the reading list. And be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com for all the wonderful things they do over there. And always, always a great big shout out to Paul from Garter Hound. For the wonderful theme.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we are going to be talking Abe Sapien, Land of the Dead, Witchcraft and Demonology, The Abyssal Plane, and The Devil Does Not Jest. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what to do. Get the back issues, trades, Omnis, digital, hooplas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And join us along next week for the Hellboy Book Club podcast.
1: Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John
2: Salinas. And I'm Danielle.
3: And I'm what we love saying, the Mothman sighting turned out to be a hoax.
2: <laughs> ah,
1: <Aww>, shucks. <laughs>